Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. G'day everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me. V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco, coming to you from V8 Sleuth Headquarters in Melbourne. Of course, we're backed by Repco. They're driven by passion, and so are we, celebrating their 100th anniversary in 2022. Now, a guy who is synonymous with red, he bleeds red. He was on the red side the whole way through, is my guest on the podcast this week and next week. It was such a great chat, we had to cut it up into two parts. Nathan Pretty was part of the furniture for Holden Motorsport for over a decade, driving the famous Monaro Nations Cup car that won the inaugural Bathurst 24-hour, rallying. He was involved in that for them as well. And of course, V8 Supercars. His story is one that is quite unique and is quite amazing. From karting to the high banks of the Calder Park Thunderdome and then to the early days of V8 Supercars as a privateer, this is the story of a Wodonga taxi driver that became a Holden Racing Team Bathurst driver. It's an amazing story of how if you're standing in front of the right door at the right time and it opens, it's amazing what unfolds. He's had an amazing career in motorsport and he's been one of the most engaging, fun and entertaining people I've met along the way. And of course, we can't do a podcast without talking with Nathan about his alter ego and his great friend, Randy Corners. There's more of that in part two next week. We talk all sorts. We talk Thunderdome. We talk V8 supercars. There's some cracking Peter Brock stories over the next couple of weeks. And of course, all of the endurance race stuff that he did, and in particular, that mighty yellow Monaro. It won the 24-hour in 2002, and it's probably the car that he is most closely aligned with, given he drove it full-time for the following seasons in the Nations Cup Series. He's a pile of fun. I really love sitting down and chatting with Nathan. It was great to have him come into the office recently. So let's get stuck into it. Here's part one of Nathan Pretty on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. Nathan Pretty, welcome to V8 Sleuth headquarters. I've been looking forward to this for so long because there's so much to talk about. Where do we start? Do you want to, like, dictate where we go from the beginning and then I'll run it from there? I guess it starts from you ringing me, thinking that it was a pocket <laughs> doll for sure, going, why would you be ringing me? Like, I'm just a nuff-nuff from Wodonga originally. And going, oh, I wasn't too sure why you're ringing me for a catch-up. Did I use some money or something? Or? No, no, no. No, nah, look, I feel privileged, mate. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, mate, there's so much to talk about. I, I love your motorsport journey. Uh, having worked with you over the years in the Holden era and you're synonymous with the red cars or the, you know, the lion badge and other colours on the car as well. But tell me about early days. Were you Was it karting for you? What got you started in, in racing? Because there's so many things we'll, we'll go on to. But if you wind it all yeah. back, whose fault is your motor racing career? Yeah, I guess it was dad. I mean, I started playing football, but being a, a bit of a gooky-looking young lad. Yeah, AFL. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know. You don't throw a ball. You You're on the right side bounce. of the Murray River. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, you know, I I had braces, so, yeah, gooky-looking young bloke. Teeth. And, 
teeth. Yep. I mean, teeth and dad thought, you know, I better maybe to protect him. We're spending the money on the teeth. I better protect him and put a helmet over his head rather than play football. Oh, so it was. Oh, sorry. Kinda, no, I was about to say, were you Nathan Burking it in football? Yeah, no, but no, no, yeah. no. As no, in race car just, helmet. Yeah, and that way yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to get me teeth knocked out and all this money they were investing in them. Um, was just one of those things because he used to race. He raced FJs around the old Hume Weir circuit. Oh, and gold. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. was really cool because Dad had a couple of cars. He had a, a, a two FJs but only one engine. So on a Friday <laughs> night he'd drive to work and everything and the Friday night he'd get home and pull the engine out of the road car and put in his race car and, and go racing in it and then Sunday night would pull it back out and put it in his road car to go back to work the next week. So, you know, it was a background from motorsport that, that he had and, and wanted to, I guess, pursue that uh, through me. So there was Holden history way back when? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I actually come across that car. It was in an old car yard. Really? Uh, wreckers in Wodonga. Oh, yeah. We, oh, yeah. This, I love this stuff. Yeah, this it was an old, uh, an old FJ and Dad was a bit of a... Uh, I guess, instigator of, of bonnet scoops, you know. In an FJ, he, he ground a couple of um, bonnet scoops in the FJ and pushed it in for a bit of extra forced air induction <laughs> because most of that day that he was racing was all dirt. Uh, mm. but yeah, it was really cool and I'd like to try and follow up, I guess, where that car actually has got to now. So did you You saw it though? I did say How it. How long ago were we talking? Oh, it would be probably eight years. Yeah, right. Yeah, eight years ago and it was in a – an old wreckers in Wodonga. But I don't think it got wrecked because it's still you could vaguely still see Dad's name on the on the roof and everything. Why didn't you buy it? Just financially not <laughs> able to at the time and probably worse so now. I mean yeah. I'd be able to buy the valve caps. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I must look into it to where that's ended up. All right. That's a bit of sleuthing. That's a yeah. mission for you when we finish this podcast. So so karting, like how, yep. how old are we when we go karting? And, and is your sister Nicole part of all this or does she come along racing later? She came along racing later. I mean, because I ended up getting a – we had a kart shop and an Indy Karts in Wodonga and, you know, I ran the kart shop uh, because I left school halfway through year 12. It wasn't really for me and – you know, looking back, it would have been nice to finish my schooling. I was only had another six months to go, but had the go kart shop and and did that. But went racing carts, and you know, dad was away racing. I'm uh, sorry, away working all the time, and then he'd come back. And on a Friday night, we'd go somewhere in Victoria, pretty much all through the country series and city series, and go racing. And then he'd come back on a Sunday night, and then kind of go back to work and everything again, which was pretty hard on the relationship, I think, with uh, with mum and dad and and the other my two older sisters, but it was it was good. You know, it was one of those things. And unfortunately, with karting uh, and then progression, we just did not have the money to go Formula Ford yeah. open wheeler racing. Which so, was the next step, really. Which was yeah. the next step. And even to this day still, I, I have not driven a, a Formula Ford or Formula V or open wheel car. All right, we've got to change this. <laughs> yeah, which is a bit kooky. <laughs> I've driven a Radical. That's about it's as close there, to yeah, it's, yeah. as close to open wheel that I've ever driven. That's, that's strange, isn't it? Yeah. But it really it's... It's what your wallet dictates. That's exactly basically. right. And we just didn't have it. We didn't have the funds to do that because it was so expensive, even though it and was And how were you funding progression. this? Was it, was it Dad just going, right, I'll sort it out? Or were yeah, you, it was but, one of those. Yeah. yeah, look, it was unfortunately it was yeah, Dad's wallet. It was one of those. I, was a, I wouldn't say I was a sorth, the old son of a rich father. It definitely <laughs> wasn't one of them. But Dad, you know, he, he liked the fact that we, we had a really good relationship with going away racing and different things. And, yes, look, at times it was tested because it's competitive. And certainly then progression then to go on to the Thunderdome where we bought a, an old VK Commodore 
um, and and went Thunderdome racing, oval track racing, because that was our progression was to do that that way, you know, to to go bitumen racing round and round circles, and that way I couldn't stuff it up. I, I couldn't turn left. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's the wallet that dictates. It's not that you're thinking you're the next Brad Jones. You're going well. This is where we can go. This is what we can do. And it turned out to be a great thing for you to go to Thunderdome. Oscar was booming. You start in Sportsman, which for those who might not remember was the old Oscars yeah. that they brought in. It was kind of it was the Super Two of Oscar, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, that's right. It was. It was a you know, VK Commodores, XF Falcons. Where'd you get and, Commodore from? Um, I can't remember his name now, but it was like down in Melbourne. Um, mm. the, that was down in Melbourne and then we brought it up to Adonga and, and did it up and everything as best you can do an old race car up and, and it was good. I really enjoyed it. I, I loved it. And the fact that then with having Brad Jones in Albury, the other side of the river, um, the progression then was to go Oscar racing. So, you know, I think we finished in the top three in the championship that first year in the Sportsman and then progressed on to Oscar racing and, and Brad and Kim took me under their wing to give us a hand with Dad and I because it was a self-funded family team pretty much and so I had my mum doing catering, my elder sister was doing catering as well and, and Nicole was helping do a lot of the mechanical stuff as well with the car until the point where we, a couple of years into it, we had enough components to build another car. And that's where Nicole came into the whole mm. scene. And at the time, I've talked to some of the guys, particularly this year, Brad, Terry Wyhoon. Our listeners love hearing Thunderdome stories and that that era because, of course, it doesn't go anymore. It's it's done and dusted. But what what are your memories of it? The camaraderie, the the racing, and it was in a way that the prize money could help you fund your racing that sponsorship couldn't. Well, that's the thing, and we were fortunate enough. And I, and I, I mean, I'd like to actually do a legit check on it, but we were rumored to be the first in the world to have Caterpillar as a worldwide motorsport sponsor. Um, so Judy Littlewood here in Melbourne, part of the the Caterpillar. Uh, family, she she looked after all the marketing for Caterpillar, and and we approached them. And at the time, it was a, a good marketable thing for them. And, and this yeah, was before the John Bell Cat. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, one well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was ninety two. This is in my rookie season that they come on board in a little way, and then and then it progressed that next year to have Caterpillar all down the side of the car and everything to have you know a lot of their their different people, clients, and things come along to the racing and old school style to to cater for them and and take them out doing something mm. take them to something different rather than take them to a quarry <laughs> so that was really cool and uh, you know we were fortunate to have them for a number of years in in oscar which was great but yeah the camaraderie side of it that's where oscar racing was just an unbelievable category to be involved in because we spent the whole off season rebuilding our old uh oscar and unfortunately, the only thing we didn't replace was a $20 ball joint. So the practice for the new season, I think it was 92, 93 season, um, it broke a ball joint going into turn one. So I hit the fence into turn one at about 180 kilometres an hour. And I didn't come off the fence until well out of turn two, halfway up the, the back straight. Oh. So that rattled me bones a little bit and everything, but uh, was we were disappointed because we had a big sponsor we had to represent, and Terry Wahin had an old car down in Currumburra, and yeah, so yeah. we loaded up a couple of the guys to go down and get the old shell, and they bought it back up, and and we we made the grid, you know, thanks to Terry lending us a car and everything, we rebuilt this car into what we had was was I guess our car, so we could make the field for that first race of the season, which was fantastic. Was that the biggest shunt that you had at the Thunderdome? 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. When the when you've got no idea what's going to happen, I mean, some of these others you can at least brace for it, but popping down into turn one um, at those sort of warp speeds and jumping on the brakes and the ball joint just letting go and just fired me straight up into the mm. fence. And that fence doesn't it doesn't move. No, <laughs> it's a no. it's a hard fence. So it's yeah. a one way conversation. But those seats, you know, those Butler built aluminium seats, which they still run in NASCAR today, yes, albeit a lot more mm. refined. Um, it, it took all the absorption and, and it blew all out my, my rib cage protector and everything and, and I walked away from that thing, you know, like like it was a little car park crash. <laughs> it probably wasn't really. No, no, it definitely wasn't. But park. it was one of those things, you know, those cars were built really well. What's your standout memory of of the Oscar stuff and the dome? Because it wasn't just the dome; there was a bit of road course racing among it. But is there a standout race, a win, a, a battle that that lives um, on, or some of the guys you raced against that really sticks? Yeah, out? I guess a lot of the the racing back then was was really cool because the camaraderie was 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 there. Um, I guess some of the fiercest competitors were obviously BJ. I mean, he had a, he was a champion of that category for such a long time. But with the likes of Terry and, and Bruce Williams um, and then also Johnny Faulkner, I mean, yeah, I remember telling myself um, that, geez, I, I don't really want to push it too much harder because I might crash the car and everything. And after qualifying, I think I'd qualified third or fourth and Johnny was, I think, might have been only second. I said, how'd you go, John? He goes, no, nah, no good. I said, oh, what, not happy with second front row? He goes, no, nah, I didn't scare myself. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. I walked away from that going, oh, okay, I, I better man up, better tighten the crutch strap a bit more next time and, and give it a red-hot go because I, I just I wasn't in that position to go and do that because I knew that if I damaged the car, I was the one to fix it. Hmm. Um, you know, it was we weren't paying anyone. It was all a voluntary team, and you know we had a great bunch of guys from our local area in Albanonga helping us out, volunteering to come down, and um, yeah, you know, they would help to fix it as well. But I took that responsibility on my back to then fix the car if I actually damaged it. So I, it's one of those things. I, I guess it probably held me back from a lot of other racing and so on in the in the future because I still had that mentality hmm. that if I crashed it, I didn't expect someone else to fix my. Stuff up, yeah. No. You, you bend it, you fix it. Yeah, yeah. It was very one of simple. Those things. Yeah, it very was, simple philosophy. But but it, it it held me in good stead, you know. In the end of the day, I, I finished a lot of races because of having that mentality. Hand the car back over to the the main driver and so on, so that we could get to the finish line. Mm. Because in go karting, um, a guy. Pulled me aside one time and I was, I was very fast in carts, but I was crashing a fair bit, you know, just a wild child. And he pulled me aside and that old analogy of, you know, to finish first, your first must have to finish. And he just walked away. And did you and, even know this bloke? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, I was yeah, say, he was just my, some random guy yeah, giving yeah, you a bit no, of experience no. 101. He was my engine builder and, and, and made me really think about it, you know, and I came back and any, any, said did you ever think about that and I'm like I don't really understand what you mean you know <laughs> and and he sort of put it a bit more clear and and then so I changed the way I, I raced even then and yeah it was just about gathering points and everything and being there at the end of the day and yeah I started to win a lot more races by just playing a lot smarter you didn't always have to be the fastest but you had to be smart and and I guess that that went on right through my whole career because, you know, I was definitely not the fastest in a lot of categories and so on, but uh, but used my head and my nose to, to try and keep the thing on the track to get there in the end mm. because the other thing was is about the sponsorship and sponsorship was hard to get and to be able to still represent that brand you had on the side of the car, you needed to be out there in front of the cameras and, and doing it that way. Well, that flowed right through, as you said, because I, I brought with me just thinking that we will talk about this later, but, I mean, you did 14 Bathurst 1000s and you finished 12 of them. 
So, you know, and more often than not, you know, you were a top 10, top 12 runner uh, when you're in the second car or if you're backing up the the main guy. So same Mm. approach that that carried right through from there. Now it makes total sense when I look at your record moving forward in the other categories and the Nations Cup and the, the supercar Enduros, your finishing rate's so high comparatively for that top level of the sport because it was ingrained in you that oh, I can't really go too wild here. Yeah, and because did that, still, hurt, you, did that hurt you later on? Yeah, it did. Yeah. I know it did because you know, I had an opportunity to, to have some full-time gigs in supercar, um, but I, for whatever reason, it was always, always in the back of my mind just to just to hold it back a bit, hold it back a couple of tenths and so on rather than bin it Mm. And try to prove yourself that you're super fast, but you're you know, you're a crasher, rather than just to hold it back that little bit, but to finish all the time and and just put the time on the board. And and I know it definitely hurt later on, but mm. you know I, I feel very privileged for some of the teams and and team owners and cars that I've driven over my time. So you know I, I don't look back and feel ill-hearted about it mm. because it was my choice to do that mm. in the first place. Do you remember your first Oscar? Win, yeah, I do. Yeah, it was it was a a rain shortened race, I think, a little bit because you know, same that there was pit stops and all this sort of thing, but it was five wheel nuts, you know, it was yeah. a manual jack. jack. Yeah, it was all this sort of thing that our guys worked pretty hard to to do that and to get the pit stops right and to to cut some time there so you could pass some cars in pit lane and and so on. And yeah, it was at the Thunderdome and it was a, a ra- bit rain shortened by probably ten odd laps. But I think I beat Marshall to to the flag in the end because they they called it in the end. But that was that was really cool, you know, knowing that all our guys, as I said, they're all volunteers and everything to get a, a win because I'd always had a lot of seconds and thirds and, and so on. And over the time, still a lot of seconds and thirds. And I loved going to Adelaide, to AIR there, short track. Yeah, it was that like was the bull cool. ring. Real was, bull ring, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was very cool. I mean, and unfortunately for me, I've got a bad memory there. I was taking someone for a ride oh. in our, we had a ride car. Yeah. And, and I was taking someone for a ride and I was coming to the pits and hit the pit wall coming in. <laughs> so it was a good <laughs> no, ride for them. That was that was a experience of a ride that you normally don't get. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Uh, you're not having one of them again. No, no. <laughs> no. So one, enjoyed time, it. one time only. Yeah. One time only. Uh, who was the hardest competitor at the dome? Oh, I think Johnny. As I said before, Johnny's attitude, Johnny Faulkner's attitude. He was he was win it or bin it. There was mm. no denying that. He he won a lot of races, but he had a lot of crashes <laughs> and big crashes too, and he had a, a lot. But I guess and Brad, you know, when Brad was still racing the Oscars, their their true professionalism in the sport was was hard to beat, mm. and that was a tough one to always look up to him. But it was also really good to have them knowing that I was under Brad's wing a little bit with helping out in in learning the sport and the tactics involved in that because there was a lot involved in that. And as you still see today with NASCAR racing, yeah, they've lost a bit of that old school redneck type thing because of the the way the cars are developed now, more through safety side of things, but. It was really cool to be involved in it and I guess some of those other – Terry was always very hard, but he, I think he had the same strategy as me, you know, knowing that it was a it was a hard-fought battle just to get there 
to race each time. So he he still won a lot of races and championship and everything as well. But I think getting back to when you asked before about that, they had a NARA fund. It was called a NASCAR and Oscar Repair Association Fund or something like that. Yeah. And if you crashed your car, they, they pulled a certain percentage of the prize money out and pulled it. So instead of getting $20,000 to win, which was it was big prize money back then, they would pull X amount of percentage out of that. So you might have only won 15000 and and right down because it didn't matter where you finished, you would win some prize money. All you had to do was basically turn a lap. That's right, much. and you would get some prize money. But also then with that narrow fund where the cars started, the, the field started to, I guess, lessen each time and they, they realised that it was hard. It was a battle for a lot of these teams to get to the next race. So they made this narrow fund and they take, took a lot of the percentage away and then so if you crashed, you would get a, a certain percentage. You'd have to put your quote in. And they would look at it and then depend on if you were the only person to crash, you would get most of that pool from of that money round. And actually nearly make money <laughs> to crash. Cra- to crash. <laughs> you know, as silly as it sounded, it was a really, really good idea. And I mean, to the point where, you know, the old there's there's no, I guess, warranty on a on a race engine. So mm. it's hard to try and if it blows up, it's the old concrete. Well, you drove it out on the concrete to get onto the trailer, so there's your warranty. It's null and void now. You're going mm. racing with it. And my sister, she blew an engine up at one stage and and we got money to repair it through the NARA fund. I mean, mm. and that does, just doesn't happen. Yes, if you crash and so on, but once again, yeah, if a lot, if there was a big crash and a lot of cars get taken out, then, yeah, I guess your NARA fund and your, your repayments for that race weren't going to be mm. so so great, but they still helped you get your car fixed and get it to the next race. It's a great part of that whole scenario that crashing actually earned your money, which is I, I know, hard <laughs> to believe. A little nuts in the way that yeah, the sport Yeah, because generally... a lot of people made a lot of money out of that. <laughs> <laughs> what was the um, – I mean, we talked about it before, the prize money was was probably it's down, the, the place's downfall really because Bob mm. put out big prize money, which a lot of teams – you know, particularly in those last three or four years, there weren't too many cars with lots of signage on them. No. The television package wasn't as prominent as it had been previously. So there comes a point where you just can't, can't keep paying out all that money. Uh, but for you guys, was that better than sponsorship, the prize money? With, without that, you wouldn't have been there. No, that's it right. I mean, it certainly helped because our prize money wasn't massive. Uh, I mean, sorry, the, the actual sponsorship stuff was not massive, but – it was good to represent some of these big brands, you know. We, then we had we had Dewalt and and so on as well. Um, so the money wasn't huge, but yeah, you, you relied on a fair bit of that sponsorship as well. You know, it wasn't something that I could, even though through the week, most of the weeks I was back at our workshop rebuild. I was running the go kart shop, but rebuilding the race cars and so on to get ready for that next race. And are you employing anyone to help you no, run these Oscars? No one. During, it's just your mates coming and helping at a at a round at the Dome or come in Adelaide and pick growing. Yeah, and- yeah, so we obviously just covered all their costs involved in that, but we couldn't afford to pay anyone to the point where I think it wasn't until I was probably, well, the Holden Racing Team was the first time I got paid to, to race mm. because even through the week I wasn't getting paid to work on the car. It was taking probably $200, still living at home, so probably making about $150 a week. Um, which wouldn't even cover going out drinking. So, I'm, you know, it was <laughs> – I hardly ever, you know, went out or anything like that too. Back then it was one of those things. I was focused on my racing and yeah. trying to be fit but look after the the race cars and because we just couldn't afford to pay anyone. It was just really tough all mm. the way up until 2000. You said before about 
you went to two cars because Nicole, your sister, started racing as well at the Dome. That's a pretty cool thing. There's not too many brothers and sisters that can say they've raced at a really high level in Australian motorsport in the same races. It's pretty rare. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was it was nice time because to get Nick involved, um, you know, I think she also won the Rookie of the Year. I won the Rookie of the Year, and she won the Rookie of the Year in the Oscar as well, which was really cool because at a, one point we had enough components. We had three cars. We had two race cars and and a designated ride car because we built all our sponsorship through Brad and Kim off the back the of the way they did it. The way they did it. Yep. We marketed ourselves off the back of them and and we had that designated ride car where we sold because it was honestly, I think going for a ride in an Oscar still to this day was probably one of the best experiences I've had even going around. I've done it. Know. It was cool. I went with Marshall Brewer one day in a fast track car at the Dome. Yeah. And the, I've been lucky enough in what I do and the time I've been around to go for some rides in some cool cars at some cool tracks. The Dome's like vying for the gold medal yeah, because it was yeah. so unique, so different, so against what your brain is wired yeah. from a circuit racing perspective. The speed, the noise, so cool. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it is one of those things. And as I said, we'd have ride days there with the sponsors. We'd have you know, 120 people lined up there where Nick and I would just jump in and out of the driver's seat and as fast as we could get them in there, we were going out doing rides and you know we would – do a days all over the country, you know. Even if we weren't racing in Perth, we we'd take the car across there because Caterpillar was a mm. huge part of the their business was over in WA, and we'd take the car over there and do rides around Wanneroo or something with the Oscar, mm. which was a bit bizarre, but it was still a ride car. And back then, not many people were actually doing that sort mm. of thing. Yeah, well, the Jones boys were probably the good guys to be learning off because they know how to hustle, they know how to do deals, they know how to make stuff happen, particularly in, in those days. So was there Aubrey-Wodonga rivalry there? Because they're on that side of the border. Yeah. You're the newbies on the other side of the border. Were they always helpful or did you start to get a bit more competitive and they started to not help you as much? Yeah, no, they they were. They were always, I mean, they were, yeah, we were the Mexicans so they, <laughs> they weren't too worried about us. I mean, even though they had to come... Uh, over to our side of the the state to go racing most of the time, but no, they were very helpful right through our whole time. I mean, to the point where I don't think I was really ever a, a threat because Brad was out of Oscar racing anyway, and they were in the NASCAR side of things then, which obviously then takes up a a lot more time. Um, but it's quite bizarre. I mean, they're still in the same factories, mm. you know, that they were back in the early nineties. So mm. it's you know that's just how far they've come, I guess, with supercar racing. Yeah. It was back then. It was like supercar racing. You know, this, nah, that's not part of us. We're we're you know rednecks. We're old school. We're old trackers. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're going to stick with that. They didn't want any part of that until, unfortunately, I think it was roughly December of '99 when you know, the old Oscar NASCAR and it was the last race that we had in the Thunderdome and mm. which is yeah I drive past it every single day now still and and I look in there and I just saddens me mm. Mm. <laughs> that we're not in there anymore. Yeah, did you see the writing on the wall? Kind of. Unfortunately, I mean, he went and invested a lot of money in those lights and, and that, that built the sport up again. You know, people could come out on a Friday or Saturday night. Oh, I have great memories. Yeah, Saturday night. Massive crowds. Down from Ballarat. You know, you'd get there at like 6 o'clock-ish. You're there till I think curfew was 11, wasn't it, the, yeah. the last that the racing could run. You'd get NASCAR, Oscar, Sportsman, HQs belting themselves to pieces, the little legends up and down the pit apron. As a, it was, it was 2020 motor racing before there was 2020 cricket. Compact, you could see it all yeah. right in front of you, 
four and a bit, five hours in of a window. If you wanted to go and watch qualifying earlier in the day, you could. But perfect, perfect. Oh, like 100%. It, it would be so suited to the now of yeah. the sporting environment, television, people's, you know, attention spans, all that stuff. Yeah. It, it would be ace. Oh, look. It would need a fair bit of money spent oh, on the, sure, on the yeah, track, unfortunately, sure. because of the way it was built back in the, the day and modelled off Charlotte, just a little bit compacter mm. circuit than, than Charlotte was. But I guess right here, right now, if I was in a wheelchair, walking stick, whatever, and they brought Oscar, you know, NASCAR racing back to Australia, I'd be finding my way there <laughs> somehow <laughs> to do it, you know, and, or to have some sort of team and yeah. because it it's still, uh, it's still well inside me to to get back there and do some form of, of that racing. I love my NASCAR racing. There's no denying that. <laughs> There's a lot of love from so many people who listen to our podcast, from fans out there. Whenever we talk NASCAR, Oscar, Thunderdome, or we do stuff on the website, it lights up. So there's clearly... And a little bit of it's the rose-coloured glasses, a little bit of, oh, it was better back in the day and all that sort of stuff. But enough time's passed. You know, as you said, it was, what, December 99 that the last yeah. race on the Dome was. You know, we're 2022 now, yeah. so 20 plus years. Um, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of love out there for that form of racing, which basically ran for 10 years, pretty much, give or take a year. Um, and, and then it all brrr, yeah. just went. Unfortunately, and probably now that these Holdens are getting more valuable, there's. Don't want to race them. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. you know, yes, the newer models and stuff are a little bit different. There's a lot of them around, but I guess some of these HQ owners would just look at that <laughs> joint and just cringe, you know, because I've seen some of those HQ oh. crashes where there was 15 to 20 cars <laughs> taken out in one crash. It was amazing. Oh, I do recall uh, there was a fellow in a sportsman Falcon. I think his name was Graham O'Brien, had a mammoth roll over down the back straight. He went about nine times over. Um, it, it was so big it went worldwide. It was on those American and they walked away TV-type shows. But I'll yeah. never forget, and we're, we're diverging here, but yeah. it's Thunderdome, so it's cool. Um, I, I was a young motorsport news reporter at the time, still at school. I think my dad was taking me to get in the media centre. He got a free ticket, so he was sweet. And Bargs arrived and Bargs said, I knew there'd been a big shunt when I was driving through the tunnel because I saw three springs flying and smash <laughs> into the fence above my car. <laughs> it was massive. And so exactly. when you shunted at the dome, it was generally a big shunt. Unfortunately, yeah. And and even getting back to one of those HQ crashes, for the leaders, I know that there was, like it might have been the fourth, fifth and sixth guys got bunched up and crashed in behind first, second and third and yet they come all the way around and still got involved in the same crash. <laughs> like that's how bad things that's were. That's not good. That's no, that's not. not. When, you, when you had about, what, 1.6Ks, I think it was, to to know something's wrong, that there was no one behind you and still Ooh. come around and get involved in that crash, it's, it's <laughs> not great for your spotter. I mean, not a good <laughs> let's look. be honest. Not a good look. Uh, you talked about your love for NASCAR. People forget that you did have a go at NASCAR. You were pretty much an Oscar guy, but a little chance popped up to drive the car that Kevin Schwantz and Murph had Driven as well. Tell me about yeah. Yeah, how that all popped. Scott Williams is the man to, to blame for that, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, Scotty, I've known for a long time, and and he gave me the opportunity. And it was actually that night that I met my wife, who I'm still with now. Well, so she watched we, me. Yes, do tell crash both cars, an Oscar <laughs> and a NASCAR, and somehow still managed to 
to get together. <laughs> so pretty impressive. I impressed the hell out of it. Was she there but, to see you? Did she know who you were? No, or? she didn't. She come down from some with some friends from uh, from Wodonga. She was a Korean girl and still is. She's back up there now. But she's uh, she was there that night, and I met her. But it was that NASCAR. It was cool to do. It was a very short and steep learning curve to to unwind from going clockwise for so long to go anti-clockwise on a big radial slick tyre was just a different beast to drive. Mm. It was thrown in the deep end. I mean, I'd done enough laps in an Oscar. I thought that I'd, I'd go all right in an NASCAR, but it was it was challenging. It was very hard. You know, I just needed a lot more time. Um, it was – I wouldn't say I was even competitive on that night because, unfortunately, as I said, I, I crashed and um, I hit someone in the – that was having their own accident in the infield and I'd just come off turn four and you know, got a little bit sideways as well and tried to avoid a crashing car but then hit the crashing car, unfortunately. <laughs> got you know, involved like, in the crash. Yeah, yeah. It was like, stay high, stay high. You know, it was none of that, unfortunately. I just – I try and teach it these days now is don't look at what you don't want to hit but I was staring at it. I couldn't take my eyes off him so I thought I'd get involved in his accident. <laughs> <laughs> no, not a good look. Tr- trick for young players to yeah. not follow. Yeah, that's if, right. Exactly right. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> if in doubt, don't aim at the car. Don't aim at the car. <laughs> do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. So we, we kind of have covered that Oscar NASCAR winds itself down. As it's winding down, you go to V8 Supercar. So was this a case of sponsor pressure or seeing that, hey, that V8 thing's taking off now, we've got to get among it? What was the, the take that got you? Because you're doing it all on your own. So this is a big step to go into the supercar. And this is before there's a Super 2. This is going into the main yeah. championship. Yeah, this was all Shell Series still. Um, because we had a good sponsor in DeWalt at the time and, you know, with that winding up, we still wanted to keep those guys on board. And and I guess for Dad, his childhood dream was to probably have raced at Bathurst. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, he couldn't do it, but he'd love to have seen us do it. So that's where we had the chance, I guess, to to – to try and do it, and and but to do that, we needed to buy a, a supercar. So, Dad started doing his research, and I guess yeah, found a, a car over in WA from from the Johnsons, which is an old Perkins car, mm. and he ended up going over and checking it out, and yeah, ended up buying it, and we bought it across, and I guess that that's where the old foundation started. Where to get to Bathurst in in '98 was to to rebuild this car and and try and make his childhood dream come to fruition through yeah. through us. And yeah, it was really cool. It was a long slog. We had to build everything pretty much and and learn a fast learn steep learning curve in what to do with a supercar because totally different beast. There's <laughs> no more you know quadrajet carby anymore. It's, <laughs> this is all injected. It's, it's a different, different. Whole different game. Yeah. So part of the deal of was it part of the deal of buying the car from so this is the John, Grant Johnson who mm. you raced Utes against later on down the yeah. track. So part of the deal that he gets to co drive at Bathurst yeah. and Nicole's part of the, the lineup as well. So it's a real family team, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well and truly. And that was part of the deal where I guess we saved a little bit of money knowing that we were going to take the car to Bathurst in ninety eight and and have Grant come on board and 
and co-drive with us and and Nicole yeah hopefully as, as well but it was it was it was a tough slog for her to try and learn that when she hadn't done a lot of that uh, I guess circuit racing in a car but it was it was a good opportunity I mean unfortunately and you know after all the work the pre-season stuff and getting the car ready just for that one race that we were 19 laps from the end and the little alternator decided to pack it in and we just didn't have the spares to mm. to get to fix it to get to the finish line unfortunately what was the most desperate thing you did in that period of course you said about you started to get paid when you got the HRT opportunity we'll talk mm. about that in a minute what's the most desperate thing you did back in those days whether it was karting or the super speedway stuff or that early V8 supercar to go racing how desperate did you get I was I was driving taxis I drove taxis for a number of years in Wodonga uh, in the lead up to even in 98, you know, 98, 97, I think, 97, 98, 99. I was baking bread at Sunnycrust. Uh, you know, I had, I was pouring concrete. I had about four different jobs just to, I guess, make enough money to then to tip into the, the racing as well to try and top it up as best mm. I can. I mean, it's not even topping up. I don't think I was even paying for the fuel we were using, but, <laughs> you know, I, I sort of, Thought I was doing my little bit, but yeah, the the desperation and stuff and the commitment I had was was pretty high to try and get there. You know, it was what I'd always wanted to do as well. Then after I knew back in the day, started racing go karts to then to try and race at Bathurst because I used to sit down and watch Bathurst and watch Brocky and Dick Johnson and you know Moff and all these guys you know, throw their cars around, which was a very different era, I guess, to even when I started racing up there. But I idolised these guys and I wanted to to be like them, like a lot of other little kids, you know. A little bit different now. They want to be the Craig Lowndes or the Jamie Wincups and stuff, but <laughs> I was the that little kid. I love the story and you can tell it better than I can because you were there. So you, you get this V8 supercar, the old Elf Barber Gallo car. It was old by the time you got it. I think it was about six years old. But the next year you did a few rounds of the championship and this is still yeah. the main game. This is yeah. not getting fobbed off to the development series. This is the real deal. So at Winton, old Nathan Pretty in his old clunker Commodore yeah. finishes seventh in the main game against the big Hammer boys, all the factory teams. The fields are like 40 cars in those days. Tell me about how that all unfolded because it was a little Oscar NASCAR yeah. spotter trick that helped you avoid an incident and it was Nicole that was, I think, on the radio that helped you avoid something that most other people didn't. Yeah, correct. She was she was up near the old start-finish line uh, with the, the radio as a, as a spotter. I mean, not Which that is you what you had on the dome every the dome, time. So yeah. to try and avoid the crashes and, and so on. And, yeah, I guess uh, qualified 25th, which was a surprise anyway because the, you had to pre-qualify and stuff sometimes. In, so you're definitely in not last. You're already no. Yeah, we're up. And, and that was that first race. And I don't think I'd even really done a, a proper a sprint round start. So, you know, to throw me in the deep end because we couldn't afford to practice these starts and things as well because it puts so much load on the car. And, yeah, and I guess I don't know what lap it was at what stage, but we were, you know, I was holding my own and so on, probably made up a couple of spots running about 23rd and and there was a a bit of oil down through the sweeper and and Nick gets on the radio going, they're they're all shooting off at the sweeper, so slow right down, right down. And and as I was coming through the old, I think, what was it, uh, four, Five and, and then coming up to the sweeper, I slowed right down and a couple of cars fired past on the outside around me, so I let them go. And I just wobbled around like it was wet But and they just fired straight off and all the other cars, there was cars everywhere off 
There were more off than on. Yeah, absolutely. And wobbled around and stayed on the circuit and and come around and and then continued on and just kept wobbling around the sweeper because I knew there was all down because Nick had told me through the the spotter, through the radio, and I guess, yeah, and ended up finishing seventh. So it was a bit of a surprise. I mean, the old girl had never probably started that high up in in its life unless Larry drove it when when he first built it. Yeah, it, it was a phenomenal, I mean, 24th, 5th, whatever it was, to 7th. But then you came back to earth in the next one, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, real fast, real fast. And as I said, it just comes back to that not being able to afford to do practice starts and things. And I was starting along th- alongside Scaifey in the factory HRT car and I thought, you know what? This is my know, day. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you're probably going gonna to jump me, but I'm on the inside. Um, so I'm going to have a, a red hot go to, to try and stay up as far as I can through the race. But, yeah, very short-lived. As soon as it went green. The old girl, she snapped an axle and <laughs> my day was done. Well, that race was done. So, yeah, very hard hit back down to earth. The motor racing gods just slapped you straight oh, across. Oh, yeah, gave me a good Gave one. you a big leg up in the previous one and then just cut yeah, you straight yeah. back down a size. For so, which was one. disappointing. But but in that, saying that, because I didn't have power steering and so on as well, so it was a battle out there like through the S's and things and the, the boobs over the back there, I was literally two hands on one side, those big slick tyres, no power steering. It was... It was a battle to try and get that car through there every lap, you know, and I guess in some way or another I was kind of a little bit thankful <laughs> because I was thinking I was pretty buggered after that first race. And But it is one of those things that was disappointing but it did, yeah. I guess, put my name out there and, and that's how I, I it come to get me a, a bit of a test there with HRT anyway. It was pretty hard for privateers to get much of an you know time on television or and that's why they brought that privateers cup in with those saturday mm. afternoon races back in those days that was on trackside you know a week later or whatever it was but as you said the phone rings the next yeah. year though yeah and yeah. surely so by 99 you do Bathurst later in the year i think yeah. with andrew fossett the kiwi who came yep. over and and drove with you you did that bob jane 300 Bathurst tour thing up at yeah. Bathurst mm. in the wet which i think we're all drying out from still it yeah that's right yeah and that miserable. was a good thing cuz i spent that off season then you know the the supercar in the back blocks a little bit this I guess um, other category was was coming on the future tour and so we converted one of our ross cars which was just sitting in the workshop in the corner there gathering dust and I put doors on it and put a cage in it for the doors and things and I converted it all myself and yeah we went up there and had a good race I mean it was great because I I do remember Brocky giving us a really good rap on the radio um, on the telecast and unfortunately we just made the wrong choice in coming in for tyres to get to the end of that race and they called the race because it was so wet but I was having a really good wet race so I just had a, a different I guess, technique in the rain and it was that whole just steady, nice and steady and, and get to the finish line and, and let everyone else sort of run off and, and crash and so on, which a lot of them did. But I had a good race then and, yeah, unfortunately as well for getting to Bathurst then in the with the supercar, it didn't go to plan because I crashed it in qualifying. I thought everything was going pretty good and I'd done some pretty good times and everything and, and straight out there, the old uh, young bloke, cold tyres. And then? Fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't, if you're wondering, where have I heard that before? So that's yeah. an infamous line that so many people in our industry wheel out because yeah. at the time there was a documentary being made about supercars. I think it was called In the Pits. Yeah. Um, and Larry Perkins watches the vision of you crashing at the top of the hill on the TV yeah. in the pit lane. And I can't remember who he turns to. Maybe Jack. Maybe it was Jack. I can't remember. And delivers that infamous, ah, 
line that you just said. Yeah. I won't get. Look, <laughs> our, our, we're okay with a, a swear word or two. It's it's okay, but it's part of the vernacular of a, a V8 supercar yeah. racing. Now, if anybody wheels that out, pretty much everyone in the paddock knows exactly, yeah, I, and it's all your fault. Yeah, I do remember it because we, I guess, we featured in that documentary <laughs> quite a bit after that incident, and I, I just remember seeing Larry Lane in his beanbag. I think it was in pit lane at the time when he turned and, and said those words, but. It was it was embarrassing, but it's a it's a good you know I guess kicking the guts to know that you just you need to take things I guess steady and and I was feeling quite confident, but you do get brought back down to mm. earth very fast mm. and unfortunately I mean we still we still we finished we finished the race that year after then spending all the the practice and everything rebuilding the car just to get to the start line and I do remember starting in I think it was. 54th or thereabouts. 53rd. I've 53rd, got it on the sheet here. Yep, which yep. meant I had to actually change up and back down a gear before I got to the start line because I was up around, around the corner. corner. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. No, no. That was that was the first year of the race being part of a championship um, okay. in 99. And that was, yeah, that was a full 55-ish car field yeah. back in the, the maximum days of, of the field. So, so we get to the end of 99. You've had a bit of a taste of V8 supercars and, you know, the Thunderdome's wound down, so that's not an option anymore. In 2000, for the first part of that year, there's nothing going on. Are nah. you pretty much going, eh, I think I'm done here? Yeah, I was just, I was just, I guess, um, realising that probably driving taxis is going to be my job in what, the Were you the driving future. Commodore taxis or Falcons? Unfortunately, it's the only time, apart from the very first car I had, which was an XF Falcon, um, I was driving Falcons because they were just, they were really good taxis, and that's what they made, really good taxis. <laughs> and, I mean, still to this day, I've never driven a Ford race car. I mean, it, albeit the taxi had numbers on its door. <laughs> yeah, yes. But they were government numbers. <laughs> Not race numbers. <laughs> no, um, but that's the only time. And I was still driving the taxis and all the rest of it, and as I said, bacon bread, and I was concreting. And I was away concreting at the time when I, I got a phone call, and I dead set thought it was one of my mates just taking the mickey out of me and when he said it's Jeff Greck, you know, and I'd like to know if you want to come in and, and have a chat about coming up for a, just a test, not lead to anything but just come and have a, have a, a drive. drive of a factory car. And I, I do remember vaguely almost hanging up on him. Thinking that someone's pulling my Oh, yeah, for sure because, because I you, hadn't you, raced you, anything. You've gone in a couple anything, of months but, into that year. You haven't been racing anything. Mm. Winter 99's forgotten. Yeah. Why are they ringing me? And, and actually, it's an interesting insight at the time because they had their drivers for the endurance races locked mm. earlier in the year. And then suddenly they announced Mark Noski wasn't going to be driving after announcing him as one of their drivers. Yeah. So at the time, and this is, I love how we can click these stories together now because at the time we couldn't. I was at Motorsport News. And so the news comes through that Noski's out. So the instant chat is, who are they going to get? So everyone starts to ring their sources to find out out who's there. Phil Brannigan had a really strong Formula Ford background. Mate, Gavin Monaghan's going to get a drive. And we all went, Gavin Monaghan? Well, that's left field. And then Gerald McDornan, who was really solid yeah. um, with Super Speedway and NASCAR Oscar and drag racing comes in. And he was he's a Wodonga boy too. Yeah. Well, you're pretty nice Wodonga, isn't he? He's Wodonga. He's up from that yeah. way. He's on the good yeah. side of the, yep. the border. Nathan Pretty's going to get a drive. And we all went, geez, this is interesting. Holy hell. Yeah. So it was off the radar for everybody else and clearly it was off the radar for you too. Like, yeah, it was. Surprised and and it was, I guess, thanks to Richard who, who was dating Nicole years prior 
Um, and he was a big HRT man and he'd been and he'd been a brand before that, hadn't he? He yeah. had, yeah. So he he basically he got me the the test because he said, look, it's he not said, gonna, let's give him a go. Not, it's not going to lead anything. We've everything's locked away, but it'd be a good opportunity. You know, I've seen what you've done on on radial tires and things. Just come and have a drive in in, in your supercar, no power steering, all the rest of it. Come and have a just a drive. Do a few laps in a in a factory race car and, and you know just see how you go. Mm, mm. Just enjoy it. So yeah, I went up to Winton and as it excuse me, as it turned out, it, it went really well. I had a it was just a, an animal to drive. It was so good. It was one of the best things I'd ever driven. Did I mean, you want to go home and burn your car after driving? Oh that one? yeah. Well I think even by that time our car was up for sale and so on because reality had kicked in that it's just a big bucket that we just can't keep filling up. It's just empty and faster than we can even get it to mm. any sort of level. And uh, it was just an enjoyable experience, you know, to go up there and, and drive. I think I drove uh, Craig's car at the time, a VT Commodore, and did a couple of laps. And no times. I didn't know how to read. We didn't have. We had an old PI system in our car, and we didn't have times on the dash or any of that sort of thing. It's just old stopwatch stuff and everything. <laughs> and and it was a, across the radio to Dad going, "Yeah, that was shit. You're gonna have to go faster," sort of stuff. Whereas <laughs> high tech. Yeah, I didn't know about looking at the dash for times and things, even in their car. So I just went out there and just enjoyed it and come in and they asked me a few questions about the car and and so on and I gave them my feedback and they went back and and that was all it was going to be and then they said would you like to have another drive and I'm like oh same day or another yeah same day no same day and it's like you did a good job and your your feedback was really accurate and would like to you'd have another drive so I jumped back in again and I think at that stage we're starting to get into the happy hour time even back then it's still did that and the track was starting to come pretty good and to get a drive in a car at the end of the day is a is a really cool thing because the, the track's coming to you and and went out there and I think Murph was in the Kmart car and he was just in front of me I think and I was I was catching him and I didn't know what's going on or anything I just yeah you know, then they've just called me in and asked my feedback and all the rest of it again and and I went and got changed and they they just said you know did a really good job how'd you enjoy it and I just once again, gave my feedback, thought it was the best thing I'd ever done, that's for sure. Certainly the, the most fun I'd ever had with my pants on at that stage <laughs> because it was such a nice car to drive compared to, to my old girl that I'd been wrestling around that track for so many years anyway. And, yeah, and then it just later on and I got another phone call. Yeah. What was that phone call? That was from Jeff to say, would I like to come up to Winton to the Winton round and, and just have a chat about a couple of things? And I didn't know. What are was you going thinking, on. oh my God, I'm going to get a chance? Or are you thinking? No, I just still didn't know. You know, I was thinking the next year, or I didn't know what was happening mm. with their endurance lineup and, and so on. I mean, so as it turned out, I, I come up there and I was having a talk to dad, and dad said to me, he was quite excited, and he said, look, we'll. We'll sell the holiday house if you get offered a drive. We'll, we'll sell the holiday. We'll make it work, you know. And i.e. to buy the drive. Yeah, to buy the drive. Yeah, if you get offered a drive, because that's just what happens back then, and certainly to drive for the factory team. I mean, it is one of those things that we're going to have to come up with some decent money, and mm. so we'll do this, and we'll, we'll make it work. Just talk to us, let them know that we'll get back to them. So, Dad and I drove up to Winton and went in there while I having dinner one night, and sat down with Jeff and had dinner with the guys and everything, and. Dad was waiting in the car out in the car park and, you know, went in and had a talk to him and, yeah, and he basically offered me the the drive for the endurance races in the knowing that the two Euros were coming out. Uh, Yvonne Muller and Jason Plato were coming for Bathurst but they couldn't come to for Queensland. Queensland. No. Yeah. So he said, look, you, you and Todd would partner up 
in the second HRT car and then when the two Euros come out for Bathurst, you and Todd will drive the, the my car entry at Bathurst. So we'll run a, a three-car entry team at Bathurst. And I'm like, wow, I mean, this is incredible, you know, just from someone that had kind of thought that this is it then and the, the taxis and all the rest of it were going to be my life then <laughs> pretty much that – uh, and then he, I, I kind of got really nervous and edge of my seat sort of stuff because I knew. And he goes, and as for the money, and I go, here we go. And I just went white and I think I'd started shivering. And, and he said, we'll pay you X amount. And I thought, and how much am I paying you? <laughs> I don't get, you're going to pay me, but out of my money that I'm paying you. And and he just said, so that's it. And we'll put a performance package in place as well for, for top three. And so there you go. How does that sound? I'm like... I don't think I could even talk. <laughs> Just as, <laughs> as it turned out, you know, you, you read about this stuff. You don't. You don't really. I hadn't heard about it too often happen to someone because it's rare. It it's takes mega money. rare, yeah. and and that's why I guess even to this day I'm quite bitter about motorsport because there's so many kids out there with raw talent. And they, they just can't get a go because it takes a lot of money. Mm. You know, we know of plenty of families and plenty of guys that have raced at the elite level that have started off through their parents mortgaging their houses and, mm. and so on. And anyway, that's another story. But uh, I went out and told Dad and he basically, he, he cried. He's been waiting in the car. Yeah, for hours. Just sitting in the, the car. Yeah. And, yeah, and he basically cried, you know, and I just thought that was one of the proudest moments of, of my racing career, knowing that it, wasn't going to cost us any money and yes I wasn't going to get paid much but there was not a big outlay and I was going to drive for the factory Holden racing team which was I couldn't even say it was a, a childhood dream because it was not something that I'd ever ever thought about you know you, you look at these guys and these teams and and how cool they are yeah way up in the clouds and as it turned out to get that opportunity and for dad to have that tear in his eye and all the rest of it it was yeah it was really cool still to this day one of the best moments of my life and you roll out at Queensland Raceway as you said with Todd in the second so this is let's just put the, the the positioning around this the Holden racing team at the time is Craig Lowndes and Mark Scaife they have won 96, 98, 99. They're the dominant team. They've changed. They're the red cars from that year onwards. They have got uber um, uh, resource, great people. They've got the biggest cricket bat yeah. at the time, basically. Mm. And they've just given you the keys to one of their cars for the Queensland 500. Yeah. This is just incredulous. This is fairy tale stuff. Yeah, it, it is. And and I, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm really privileged to have that opportunity um, because I know to this day you don't hear about this sort of story happening too often. So definitely a fairy tale for sure. And to be part of that fairy tale is really cool, something that you know I can't wait to tell my, my kids when they really understand a bit more and, and grandkids later on down the track because, yeah, as I said, it just doesn't happen and, and it was a really good race. We, we went up there with that. I had that same mentality. Even though driving for the factory, we had massive resources, you know, a lot of money behind that team. It was the factory team and it was it was one of those teams that no one wanted to leave. All the crew guys, there was not a revolving door. It was if you're in it, the you're whole in. racing team, you're in. And yeah. they all stayed. These are guys, stalwarts, that had been there a very long time and some of them still, still there, there. <laughs> yeah, which is really cool to see as well. And, yeah, and we had a good race. I mean, it was unfortunate because I did my part on that same analogy of just hand the car over to Todd. Todd's been racing and, and he's the main driver. I know what my job is. And that's just to hand the car over to Todd 
in one piece. Not a not a burnt out wrecked car with damaged panels and and all the rest of it and destroy our chances and the, the race team's chances, but just to back up, I guess Mark and Craig as well and and do the job that. I guess Jeff had employed me to do, and yeah, and it was all going along really well. Todd was in for that last stint and, and doing a fantastic job, and we were running second to <laughs> Craig and Mark. And I think it was I don't know how many laps to go. It was not many. No, it was close to the end. Yeah, unfortunately, and got a hole in the radiator. Mm. <laughs> and then that 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 little race was yeah put to bed, unfortunately. But I was proud of the the job that Todd and I did, and. It was it was really cool. It was a great team to be a part of, and and to have that race. And it was yeah, we were excited. I was really excited then going to Bathurst and driving with Todd. Even in that, the my car entry, knowing that we we're going to be a, a third car and driving around Bathurst, the most yeah. iconic track in Australia, in a in a factory back car. And you finished fifth. Yeah, and we finished fifth. So you so. go from one year with your own clunker, just trying to get it onto the track and just get into the race, to turning up, you know. 12 months later driving for HRT. And you guys outpointed the Euros. Like the reality was you smoked them. It was it was cool. I mean, we knew the track and I know a lot of the Euros, they come over now and, you know, because of simulators and stuff now where they can do a lot of different mm. miles on some of these high-end simulators, they get their head around the track a lot quicker now when they come over. But I guess a couple of steps back when we were testing at Phillip Island in the My Car entry in the lead-up, and Rob Crawford was looking after the the Holden Young Lions, which became Kmart, didn't it? The yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So the, it did. The and nucleus of that team rolled into Kmart. Yeah, even though it was HYL, the Holden Young Lions, I I I was in no delusional fact that I was a male, <laughs> a middle aged lion, not a <laughs> not a young lion at at my age to get, I guess uh, that job in the HYL team was was really cool, but I was no young lion by any means because but in the testing and the lead up to it, I'd just done the best time that I'd done around Phillip Island. You know, the car was about a week out from Bathurst. Um, even though the team goes up there on that weekend before. So I guess it's probably two weeks from Bathurst. And I'd just gone across the line, the best time I'd done, feeling really good. Rob was on the radio to me. I went through Southern Loop, just lapsed concentration for one, not like a tenth of a second. And just ran wide, just because I was, you know, he was pumping me up so much, and I felt really good. And I just didn't break hard enough, even on, on a slowdown lap, and ran wide, and I just side slapped the tires. And oh my god, I went from that not hero, but just to zero mm. in in such a quick time. And we come back around once the car come and got us out, and we come back around the pits. I felt so small. I just felt so deflated and disappointed in what I'd done because. That's not in my nature to, to go and crash a car, and certainly in practice. And and I just remember Todd pulling me aside and Rob just come and said to me, you know, a couple of things about you need to get your head right now. Look, you know, he, he had a, a couple of stern words but not too bad. And then so Todd and I left the track that afternoon. I was staying down because I was still living with Ongar and I was staying with Todd and Todd pulled me aside. We went fishing that afternoon. He took me fishing because I felt, just unbelievably bad. Because this goes against your grain yeah. of how you've been racing. 100%. For all this so time. I'm like, I want to go into the race team to to help them, you know, to get this car. And Todd's like, no, no, it's, they'll get it sorted. It's fine. It's all good. And and I just remember Todd saying, he goes, he, he went and spoke to Rob and he said to Rob, mate, whatever you say to him right now, I've already seen him, whatever you say, you're not going to make him feel any worse than what he already feels now. And I thought it was really mature of Todd to go to Rob and, and say that sort of thing. And that's why Rob was really cool to me. He didn't he didn't rip into me. He just said, you know, just get your head right. 
we'll get the car fixed, go away and just have a think about it. That's all. And then when Todd told me that, I thought, yeah, really mature of Todd to say that because honestly, I felt lower than a footprint as it was. There was nothing anyone could have said to me that was going to make me feel any worse. But, you know, we, we bounced back. Yeah, I bounced back and we had a really good lead up to Bathurst and and I guess the Bathurst to finish fifth was, mm. was really cool. It was a, a really memorable race for me, that's for sure. So you couldn't get away from the Kelly brothers in this early stage of your TWR Australia connection yeah. because the next year, well, we'd seen Todd. He'd come along through Formula Ford, Formula Holden, got into the V8s, won a race in Canberra in 2000, but everyone kept saying, there's another Kelly coming and he's better. Or, you know, some people were saying he yeah. was better, some people were saying he was just as good. Yeah. That Rick arrives through Formula Ford, Formula Holden, and then yeah. you get Rick for the next year in in Kmart cars. So tell us about the yeah. very – because well, he was like, what, 18 or something? Yeah, at the time? he was. He I was remember really young. We were testing it at Calder and I remember him rocking up in like a, oh, a Falcon Ute that he'd put a spark plug and everything in the exhaust, you know, to have one of those flamethrowers out the back, and that was typical. I just I just knew. <laughs> and this is <laughs> this is a different Kelly. Yeah, this is a different Kelly for sure. And when he rocked up, I've, I've still got the photo, the original photo I took of him with his first drive in one of the, the Kmart cars uh, at Calder for his first laps around. And it was it was unreal to be a part of as well, to, to know that then they instilled, I guess, their trust in me to to nurture Rick in a supercar for, for Bathurst and so on, which was, yeah, it was really cool that, that next year to be part of that. So by this point, are you ingraining? Because one of the things, you became part of the furniture with the Holden side of things, whether it was the, the extracurricular stuff and the rallying and the Nations Cup and all that stuff, and then, of course, driving the Enduros with whichever team you were with. By this stage, has the Holden relationship kind of got going? Because that's, that's something they did very well was that they put their arms around all their teams and their drivers and treated as Holden Motorsport, where I don't think the blue side did that stuff quite as well. Were you feeling part of the, the family at that stage after that first HRT oh, yeah. year? Yeah. And you, you know, you've got a deal on the table that you're good for a couple of years, you don't have to worry about next year or what, where, why? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like with Creno, um, you know, part of the, the TWR banner and, you know, with obviously driving for Tom was a, was a really cool privilege. But then to have, I guess, uh, John Stevenson, who we vaguely knew who helped us out back in the Oscar days, gave us the odd shell and a few parts, but I'd never really met him. It was all just through relationship with Dad and talking to him. And, you know, he he helped us out back in the Oscar days. And then I guess with Simon McNamara then being involved and it was it was a nice relationship and a really cool family unity to be a part of. And as you said, they they really looked after all their their umbrella of drivers and it was really nice to be, I guess, one of those spokes in that umbrella because being a, a kid up in the country, I, I got a car every three, five months that I could just put some Ks on. I had some really nice cars. Being a you know middle-aged 25 to 28-year-old, to have really nice factory road cars, every time they come out, I'd have the latest thing. It looked like I was making money, but in reality, no one knew. I was like a magician. <laughs> so. so even though you're doing a couple of races a year for the Enduros, what else? Are you, what are you doing during the year to keep yourself ticking? Well, uh, is the taxi still going? Is the no, Sunny Cross job stopped? To, no, I had to actually stop driving the taxi, and that was purely no arrogance thing other than I had had that many people. After I signed the contract with TWR, there was being our local rag, the Border Mail up there, and if it wasn't, Brad or Brad, 
or Brad Jones in the <laughs> in the rag up there. I got the odd little clip. You got you got the dregs. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you know I made a little snippet on the front page, knowing that yeah, you know, local boy gets big deal contract, not big money, but big deal. You know, with part of the Holden Factory Racing Team to sign for them. And then so driving the taxi, I'm driving the taxi on a Friday or Saturday night, and I'd get. Drunken people, which I got used to just picking them up and taking them to the next bar or taking them home and doing all that sort of thing. And then more often than not then, after that contract and a bit of the radio press and paper press, that people started to recognise me a little bit more. And then it's like, you're that race car driver, get me home faster and all the rest of it. It's like, I'll get you home, mate. I'll get you home safe at my speed, (laughs) you know. And then so I was actually copping a fair bit of abuse then about, Wenonga's not that big a place. You need to go faster. You need to do this and, you know, show us. You're not that race car driver and all this. So I just I thought to myself I just didn't want that anymore and because I enjoyed it. The, the taxi stuff paid reasonably well, I mean, but it just got to a point it was just getting a little bit too hard to <laughs> keep driving the taxi <laughs> with people forcing me and wanting me to, to drive faster than I was comfortable with. <laughs> and let's be honest, it was a falcon. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think the powers <laughs> that be that were paying you for some supercar racing would have been that thrill to know that that's what you were driving on other stages. And that's part one of the podcast with Nathan Pretty. Hope you've enjoyed the story so far. Part two comes at you next week on the VHL podcast powered by Repco. Of course, don't forget every Tuesday the Castrol Motorsport News podcast back, Wednesday for the VHL podcast, and then Thursdays or Fridays it is Repco Supercars Weekly as we bring you all the latest and greatest from the Repco Supercars Championship. Hey, I wanted to say quickly before we sign off for this episode, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for getting engaged, sending through your questions. We'll have the National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions with Nathan in part two next week. But we love to hear from you. We love your feedback. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell all your friends. We want more people listening to the V8 Sleuth podcast. We've got over 200 episodes in the back catalogue for you to go back through. If you haven't heard them all, you better get cracking because we're going to keep punching them out every week. Next week, part two of Nathan Pretty. I hope you enjoyed this one and we'll chat to you very soon. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, And within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.